Welcome to Lessons from the Lioness. My name is Tabitha, and I am your host. And my name is Baylor, and Tabitha is going snowboarding this weekend. Yes! And that sounds horrible. Horrible. Okay, I have lived here my entire life, and I went skiing once. We're in Colorado, guys. And it's horrible. It's cold. It's cold, and what if you fall? And then you're cold. And you've fallen, and you can't get up. <laughs> I'm not an elderly person. I've fallen, and I, I can't, can't get, get up. up. That's me, though. And well, I refuse to put myself in that position. Well, I don't know. I've always had this image in my mind. I mean, I really think it goes back to just the like, obsession with history and these historical women, but I always have fallen on your face. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. If Queen Elizabeth can fall on her face, so can I. God, shut up! No, that they're like badasses, and I want to be a badass, and like I want to badasses snowboard and ski. Oh, and by the way, I'm starting boxing too. Why do people do things? Let's get into today's episode. I mean, uh, yes, I'm tired. Let's do this. So today's episode is inspired by my person, Ty, and his passion for this topic. So let's do a little intro to the time period. Before we discuss who our lioness is, we should lightly touch on the world around her in the time. We're going to be talking about a story that spreads out across quite a long stretch of time, and we'll be doing a lot of condensing of those time periods today. (laughs) So we're talking roughly around 1921 to 1992. Baylor, did you do your homework this week? Yes, Mrs. Tabitha. It sucked. I don't like school. I did. Are you sitting down? Do you have your wine? Pluto was discovered by Clyde Tombaugh. I don't know if that's right. In 1930. Where we, we've already announced in the previous podcast. I don't know how to pronounce things. It's your turn. It's my turn. It's my turn. Also, Pluto is a planet. Okay. Amen. Um, floods in central China killed up to 4 million people in 1931. Wow. Yeah, that's... That's an insane number. Mm. And I didn't know that either. I feel like that's such a huge number of people either. that I didn't. That one I had no idea about. Hattie Wyatt Caraway of Arkansas was the first woman elected to the U.S. Senate in 1932. Wow. Right? Bonnie Park and Clyde Barrow were killed in Louisiana in 1934. We all know Bonnie and Clyde. Awesome thieves. Uh, theft is wrong. But if you're going to do it, have a cool name like Barney and Clark. World War II, um, th- that was that whole mess from 1939 to 1945. That's Hitler. That's, was that Pearl Harbor? Yeah. That's Pearl Harbor. I need to brush up on my World War II facts. But it's a lot of things. <laughs> For a lot of years. Um, Korea was divided into North and South Republics in 1948. And then the Cold War which I literally just found this out like five minutes ago, mm-hmm. was from 1945, y'all ready, to 1990. Oh, it's 45 years. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I knew it was long. I knew it was long. Mm-hmm. But 45 years, that's a whole person. A whole person. That's a whole person, a house, a dog, and three kids. Mm-hmm. So this world that we are in is crazy. Everything's happening. Mm-hmm. There's more, think about that too. There's more media. It's like you even said, the research has been harder. 
Oh, yeah. Like we talked about Japan and it was really difficult to find um, sources on female samurais. Mm-hmm. Female we, samurais that were accurate sources. Yep. Um, we and, almost did another samurai. Yeah. But we couldn't verify it. Yeah. I couldn't verify that if she would actually existed or not, if she was legend. Yep. So we're dealing with a time period where there is documentation everywhere, people. There's so much information. So much information. It's been like, that's just me condensing that time period. Mm-hmm. To, like, the major things. There were tons of other things going on, but, like, I we can't talk about all of it. Mm-hmm. And you very kindly um, skipped over one of the main things that we're talking about today. I did. Because I was going to give that to you. We are also talking about a key figure in the civil rights movement. Yep. That was during the time period as well. As well as many other things. Mm-hmm. But today we are focusing on Mammy Till Mobley. MTM! Woo! I just came up with that. So what do you know about her? Um, so Mammy Till Mobley, what do I know about her? Um, mostly, honestly, I know about Emmett Till, her son, and how he was very unfairly treated. Um, I know that they're both African American or black, whichever title they would prefer. Um, and I know that she got into like civil rights because what happened to her son. Like she wasn't really active before that point. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's what I know about her. Yeah. Yeah. You you know quite a bit this time. I know. Because mm-hmm. it's so much more recent. Yeah. And my attention span is just, it's all recent. <laughs> <laughs> Mammy Till had a very tragic event happen to her. You're right. Her son was murdered because of his race. And because of his death, Mammy did become a very strong American civil rights activist. In our story today, while we are going to cover Emmett's tragic death, we're going to be focusing on Mammy and her strong, gentle, and miraculously forgiving spirit. So, Baylor, you ready for a story that's going to be a little hard at times? I'm ready. Mammy Carthon was born on November 1921 in Webb, Mississippi, and her family moved shortly to Chicago after she was born. Now, this is going to come into importance later as well, so I'm going to focus on the differences between Chicago and Mississippi. Segregation in the North was very different than segregation in the South. In Mississippi, segregation was law of the land, whereas in Chicago, it was more of a practice. Black people in Mississippi were coming to Chicago in the North in droves to seek out better living conditions. Public facilities on the whole were integrated, whereas in the South, it was straight Jim Crow era. So can like you elaborate on that a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Like give us a better picture of like those two opposing worlds. Emmett had white friends. He would uh-huh. bring over white friends and this was a norm, mm-hmm. you know, and whereas there was still segregation and there was still racism in the south, you wouldn't dare even talk to a white person unless you were being talked to first if you were black. Gotcha. So it's just <clears throat> like like, racism existed in both places, but to incredibly different levels of extremity. Right. Okay. Mammy was raised very religiously and conservatively. She didn't even know where babies came from. She had no idea she was pregnant until she was in labor with Emmett. There's a TV show about that. <laughs> <laughs> and Mammy's Christian faith was something that she held very dear to her heart and was very important for her outlook on life following the tragic events to come. In 1940, when she was 18 years old, she met Louis Till, and they got married. And they had that one son, Emmett. 
the and one that was she her didn't only know. son. Her only son. Oh, f word. Only son at the age of eighteen. Louis became abusive one year into the marriage, and Mammy got a protective order against him. But he kept breaking the order to see her, so he was ordered to either go to jail or join the military. Mammy was told that his death was due to willful misconduct, quote unquote. Honestly, what intrigues me more is the fact that black people were given the opportunity to get a protective order. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't have a lot of rights, so I find that very interesting, Mm -hmm. especially for a woman to be able to get a protective order against. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, there There were a lot of rules. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of research that can be done about that. Yeah, that's just something that, like, interesting. I mean, cool, I'm glad that she was able to do that, but. I mean, it was interesting that you point that out, because Mammy, when she was 33 years old, and living in Chicago, when the events in her story really start coming to a head, she was working for the federal government and the U.S. Air Force in charge of secret and confidential files. Let's just let's just back up here. This is a black woman in mm-hmm. 1955, segregated U.S. Yeah, you're still not allowed to marry interracially, and she was in charge of secret and confidential files for the United States Air Force. Emmett at the time was 14 years old. The family unit at the time was Emmett, Mammy, and his grandmother. Mammy always called Emmett Bobo. Emmett and his grandmother were very close as well. Emmett went down with Mammy or his grandmother to Mississippi a few times to visit family. He uh, he was a very sweet boy, according to Mammy, and he was very helpful around the house and really close to his mother. In August of 1955, Emmett's cousins visited Chicago from Mississippi for a funeral. Emmett and his Chicago cousin, Wheeler, planned to go down to Mississippi for a vacation. Emmett had to convince Vince Mammy to let him go. This was the first time that he was going to go without his grandmother or without her. So this is very stressful. Remember that, yeah, he was an only child, and it was just his mother and his grandmother who were taking care of them. And Mammy was scared. She knew the differences between the, between the North and the South. She drilled Emmett on behavior before he left. She was like, you have to say yes, sir, and no, sir, and yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. Don't start conversations with white people, and don't you dare look at a white woman in the eye. These are rules that she drilled him on before he left. And there are also things that just come innately with being black in America. Like, I still get nervous about going to, like, the Carolinas just because of the different looks I get. Like, so I get it. Mm -hmm. I would be nervous, too. Mm -hmm. Just not even nervous, aware. Emmett didn't seem to really believe his mother that it was that bad. He right. thought it was mostly just like Chicago, that he could have white friends. Right. You know? He was a city boy from the North who just didn't understand the differences and in racism in the North and the South. And he's young. He's very young. We're he's all 14. optimistic when we're young, and which is awesome. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, just all of us just need to be more aware of mm-hmm. going on. What, the, what things that are going on around us we need to be more aware of. Mm-hmm. Mammy was very apprehensive, but she did send him away, and she felt very nervous. In the meantime, she tried to keep herself distracted until early morning on August 28th. She was called and told that Emmett had been kidnapped. So let's back up a little bit. In the days that this happened, Emmett did go down to Mississippi, and he went to a grocery store that was owned by a Roy Bryant. Now here's where things start going off the tracks when it comes to the facts. 
stories differ and we will probably never know the truth. But it was said that Emmett whistled at Caroline Bryant, a 22-year-old, the wife of Roy Bryant. Now, he might have been whistling because he got stuck on a word. He might not have whistled at all. I mean, who knows at this point? But that's what is said that he did. Caroline Bryant would later say that he did a lot more. Hmm. There's a lot of conflicting stories. Right. Caroline got really angry. On the 24th, Lloyd Bryant and his uh, stepbrother, J.W. Millam, went into the house of Moses Wright, who was family to Emmett, in Money, Mississippi. They threatened Moses' family with the flashlight and gun. And they were used to black people crying and begging for mercy. Emmett did do this when they t- pulled him from his bed and made him get dressed. And that enraged them. That's so interesting, too, because I feel like a lot of the reason that, like, kind of like I said, you know, media is just kind of starting to happen. And it makes me wonder if this story is also kind of a catalyst. Yeah. So he's growing up in a world where his parents are informing him of, hey, like the dangers, how to be aware, how to be, you know, wary of the situations around him. And he's not really understanding that. So then imagine then this story, his death coming up later and it makes newspapers right and so then the next kids growing up in chicago are like oh providing them to be aware but he's kind of growing up in this thing where he's not conscious of the terrible consequences of being black in america Mm -hmm. at times you know so it that is actually just interesting because he had just known maybe he would have been not that anything could probably have saved him or because we don't know we weren't there we Mm -hmm. don't know exactly the situation and there's obviously no reason that any of this should have happened like he should not have been kidnapped in the story thus far yeah interesting just what even the media can do to Mm -hmm. prepare you for situations Mm -hmm. roy and jw didn't like that he was light-skinned all as well it was a reminder of a possible interracial relationship mm. which would not have been approved so i just that. googled that and yeah interracial marriage wasn't legal until 1967 mm-hmm. so this was a threat to them right. emmett did not look part of a black boy in the south or did not act the part of the black boy in the south mm. well these two men let's we're not gonna get into the details but Emmett was flogged, mutilated, lynched. They shot him through the head before using barbed wire to tie a 70-pound gin fan around his neck and cast him into the Tallahatchie River, probably hoping that no one would ever find him. Three days later, his body rose up from the river and was actually found by a white boy. Mississippi officials were anxious to prevent outsiders from witnessing the evidence of the racist brutality without the immediate family there. So they were going to try to bury the body without Manny even seeing it. Well, uh, well that scares me too, because they knew what this looked like. Mm-hmm. The officials had complete awareness of what this meant and would mean to the rest of the nation. That's why they tried to cover it up. Right. Because again, giving it media attention, mm-hmm. putting the word out there. Mm-hmm. That's why cell phones has helped a lot with police brutality. It's because it's finally, it's been happening for years. This has all been happening, but it hasn't been as easily accessible. Mm -hmm. So the more media out there, the more these things, these stories get out and people become more aware. Yeah. They didn't want that. Mm -mm. What happens in the South stays in the South. Exactly. And I don't want to, you know, 
these things happened in the North too, I'm sure. I mean, it's yeah. not isolated to the South and it's yeah. not trying to discredit the South in any way. Like, I'm not trying to stereotype an entire region. region thank you. But the probability of, ha- of of it happening there was far more likely. Oh, far, far, far more likely. They didn't want to get the bad credit. Mm-hmm. A call was made to Chicago to stop the burial. And then the governor was contacted. Giving into legal pressure, the Mississippi authorities relinquished Emmett's body, but only after issuing very strict orders that the sealed box containing his body was not supposed to be opened. When the box arrived, Manny said that you could smell it from blocks away. She demanded to open it, saying that she had just paid $750 to bring it there. So the woman had to pay for her son's body to be brought back to her. Yeah. So the funeral was planned during a three-day Labor Day weekend strategically because Mammy knew that the public needed to witness the atrocity. There comes that media element you're talking about. Yep. She wanted people to see what had happened. She felt the alternative of not showing the body was worse. She felt that if they did not show what had happened to her son, that the nation wouldn't be forced to confront an ugly truth about itself. Okay, so that makes me think of literally just now, you know, there's a thing, at least when I had dogs growing up, if the dog pees, you're supposed to take the dog, show it the pee, make it sniff in the pee and say, no, Mm -hmm. don't do that. That's not what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what Mammy was doing. See this mess you made? This isn't good. Look Mm -hmm. at this and don't do this again. No. I think it makes sense. Like. Especially because. Look at the mess you made. Yeah. This isn't okay. Don't do it again. Really weird analogy. But that's what it makes. Because the thing is disgusting. Mm-hmm. It's disgusting what they did mm-hmm. to Emmett. Mm-hmm. And they should have their nose rubbed in their disgrace and told no. Mm-hmm. Told more than no. But, you know, we try to keep it peaceful and PC on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Mammy was very brave. And this was the time where she decided to take that stand, you know. And show the nation what had happened before she'd always known about racism obviously she'd be treated badly herself as a black woman but she always considered racism to be someone else's issue the issue of the person who was racist Mm. she didn't think that there was something that she should do about it herself this really changed her mind on that this was a little crushing for me to read, but a mammy put pictures of her and Emmett on the inside of the casket to show people what had been taken away from her. So Her whole thing was media. Her thing was media, but at the same time, I feel like... In a great way. I'm not saying that in No, negative. I think she wanted to... I think that it's exactly what you were saying earlier, that this is a teachable moment. She's mm-hmm. trying to... She's trying to show people the truth of something. She's trying to teach them something that has happened she's trying to grow a nation she's not trying to say like oh we're all terrible because remember she's very we're gonna get into this a little bit more later but she's very forgiving and she's very graceful and merciful during this whole thing but at the same time it doesn't mean that you ignore the truth of what has happened i think her point is that Emmett didn't deserve to die yeah so why not then give his death some sort of value. Yes. Some sort of purpose. Yes. And also, if I lost my only son, I wouldn't have a life to live. Um, I wouldn't. And so this gives her purpose, and it also gives her son a second life in a way. Mm-hmm. 
you know, she's he's living through her, mm-hmm. that memory. And I don't think it's, you know, people are like, oh, if someone dies, you need to let them go. I don't think it's that. It's he became a symbol for something more. And it mm-hmm. gave her a reason to keep getting out of bed in the morning. Because, yeah, my son dies. I don't got a husband. Yeah, I wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I'd lay in bed and call it. Mm-mm. And she could have done that. I mean, oh, and I wouldn't blame her. No one would have blamed no, her. No, no, no. There no. was there was a trial in September, and she did not have to go to the trial. She did not have to, right? But she dragged herself to Mississippi mm-hmm. because she thought that even a jury in Mississippi would hear out the testimony of a grieving mother. Also interesting that, like, guys, like, focus on that too. She did not have to go to this trial. So then she takes herself to Mississippi, where I'm sure a lot of people are pissed off at her. So she risked her life just to show up for her son's trial mm-hmm. and to keep spreading the message of this is not okay. Yeah. That's awesome. Because I guarantee people wanted to do something to her to get her to shut up. Just like they didn't want the body sent back. Just like they didn't want her to open the casket. Just mm-hmm. like, just like, just like. So that's brave. To go to where your son was murdered, basically. Yeah. The trial started and an all-white, all-male jury was chosen. Yep. During the five-day-long trial, the murderers admitted to having taken Emmett from Wright's home and they claimed they talked to him. When Mammy took the stand, she did not look at the murderers. And what she was asked by the prosecutor was what she had briefed Emmett on before she left. Like, interrogated basically about Before he left? did he left chicago for mississippi gotcha. about like how did how was she teaching him to act in the south mm-hmm. milliam one of the killers he boasted that he wanted to teach emmett a lesson i just want to point out here that he felt that it was his duty to teach this black boy a lesson a white man feeling it was his duty to teach emmett a lesson of supposedly do not whistle at a white woman so the verdict William and Bryant, after seven minutes of deliberation, were acquitted. Of course they were. Of course they were. The thing, too, about this story is, like, yes, things have improved, but if you look at a lot of, like, I'm going to bring it back to police brutality, a lot of those guys were acquitted, too, or didn't suffer the consequences of having taken a life. Mm -hmm. Yes, they're not police. Mm Mm-hmm. But the way he's talking about it, he's being a police in his own right. Mm-hmm. Teach him a lesson. Show him the right way. Oh, we just wanted to talk to him. Mm-hmm. Authority. Yep. Mm-hmm. Asserting dominance. Yes. On November 9th, a LaFleur County grand jury in Greenwood refused to indict Milliam or Bryant for the kidnapping. So it even went a little bit further. And still, nothing. Mm-hmm. I just find it super ironic that she was working for the government at this time, and she didn't get justice from the government. Mind you, county, I understand the difference, federal versus county. But no one had her back. The government didn't have her back. Mammy never returned to her job at the Air Force. In October 1955, the NAACP organized a demonstration meeting in Chicago. Mammy and the rest of the Till family strategized to prevent future events. The involvement in the membership drive increased following Mammy and the family's involvement. Mammy spoke before a crowd of 6,000 in Washington, D.C. Mammy said that Emmett did not belong to her, 
but alone, but that rather that he was a universal child. I love that. Mammy saw Emmett kind of as a martyr. She compared him a lot to Jesus in um, her interviews. Mammy decided to dedicate her life to teaching and went to the Chicago Teacher College and graduated in 1960. So it's right on point with what you were saying. She was going to teach the nation. She wanted to show them what was going on in this country. You Like, it's funny because with the research, you already saw what was leading up to it. Mm-hmm. You already saw without even knowing she has not, Ray Baylor has not seen these notes. No, not at all. That she became a teacher. This was how, this was how her life trajectory would go. Mammy would continue her speaking engagements for the, uh, for the rest of her life. In 1973, in her early 50s, she started the Emmett Till Players, which is a touring group of young students who would travel across the country delivering speeches for Martin Luther King Jr. In 1988, Mammy did an interview and equated the death of Emmett to be like the death of Jesus Christ. And she needed the courage to tell a story because she wanted to change culture. Mammy was always forgiving and always kind. Now, with all this research, we're coming down to the kind of the end of Mamie's life. But there was one event that when I was doing the research, just kind of threw me. I mean, I'd grown up hearing about Emmett Till and the open casket and her decision and how critical it was in his tragic death. But something that happened in a quiet moment in her life still shocked me. In 1992, Mamie had the opportunity to listen on the phone while Roy Bryant was interviewed about his involvement with Emmett's death. And Roy had no idea that she was on the line. He said that Emmett Till had ruined his life. He expressed no remorse and stated, Emmett Till is dead. I don't know why he can't just stay dead. And Mammy's reaction? That man had lived his life with so much hatred. How could he have enjoyed anything? I can't get over that. Like, this isn't a quiet moment in her life. Like, she, there's nothing to prove. She doesn't have a body to show anymore. This is just her and her feelings and her pain alone. And she could have raged in silence. She could have raged. She could have reacted even to herself. But her reaction was pity. I think that that's awesome. I mean... That was that reminds me of that um there's a poem. It's Rage, Rage Against the Dying of the Light. Mm. So she'd already seen like the darkest parts of humanity when looking at her son. And then she found a way to make her life beautiful again and to find purpose there. And I think that hearing those words, seeing that ick again, that dark again, I don't think she wanted to go back there. I don't think any of us do once we've seen the depravity that can come from humanity. And so it's like, instead of even indulging that in allowing her own ick to ease forward, she just decided, no, I don't want that. I want to continue with beauty in my life. And that's sad. She Mm -hmm. felt pity for him. And I oddly get that because there's no draw to that kind of disgusting empty life that he was living so you don't you don't want to touch that you don't want to be angry you don't want to be mad you don't want to be bitter 
because you know that even though you lost someone that you truly loved, you didn't take someone that someone else truly loved. So you have that beauty to kind of hold you in life. And that person, all they have is that ick, you know? So Baylor, what did you think of Mammy? I think she's incredibly admirable that she took her life and while sad made it something beautiful. What did you think of Mammy? I, I don't know. Like, it's just like, I try to kind of stay a little bit more objective when I tell these stories. But in this one, it, and I'm sure it was hard for me to do that. I'm sure it was evident it was hard for me to do that because this one's hard. This, I mean, this one's hard. And for me, it's because I, I genuinely don't understand her. I, 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 I admire her so much, but I don't understand her because she didn't even allow herself a minute. I mean, I mean, I read some interviews where she was asked, are you always feeling this forgiving? Mm-hmm. And she said, yes. I don't, I just... I weirdly get her, but I know what you mean. I, it's hard to wrap your mind around. It's hard to wrap my mind around because I can understand the forgiveness after the anger, but she didn't even allow... She didn't seem to allow anger. Like, even when she had had that quiet moment alone, hearing her son's killer have no remorse years later and blaming her son for ruining his life. Like, What? What? I, Mammy had the biggest heart and she was so empathetic and so kind and so forgiving to a fault. I just, clearly this is a part that I'm trying to learn from. This is a lioness I'm trying to learn from myself. That's a lesson I can't wrap my head around. That's one of the reasons I really want to talk about this moment that I can't really wrap my head around it. And I'm going to try to. I'm going to try to grow from learning Mammy's story, from learning Mammy's heart and her choices. In her own words, Mammy's life was about serving and saving children. Mammy, later on after she ended up listening to Roy, started writing a play about her life called The State of Mississippi vs. Emmett Till with David Barr and herself. And it opened in Chicago on September 7th, 1999. On March 5th, 2000, it was the 35th anniversary of Bloody Sunday. Mammy was part of a ceremonial march across the Edmund Petrus Bridge in Selma, Alabama, which was a recreation of the famous march with MLK. Mammy continued her work as an activist until 2003. After her death, an autobiography was published, which was instrumental in the making of this podcast. And her burial monument reads, Her Pain United a Nation. And she was buried next to her son. Awesome. I'm supposed to say something lighthearted at this moment. I can't either. Um, more wine? Yes. <laughs> That's lighthearted enough. Um, you know what? If you're having a bad day, if you're sad, if something happened to you today, I love you, but suck it up. And Mammy till that shit. That's and... my witty comment. That's going to be my thing going into 2019. Because it was a rough year. And it's about to get tougher. Okay. Because I got one more year on my parents' health insurance. So. 
suck it up, and Mammy till that shit. Yes. So, make sure to listen to us next time, and tune in to us on SoundCloud. We are working on getting up on some other platforms, so we'll be letting you know about that soon. Yes, and please follow us on Instagram, like us on Facebook, poke us, is poke us still a thing on I think Pocus is a Just Pocus. You know, just do it. Pocus in person. Pocus in person. <laughs> Come find us. Ask There's a prize. Poking. Yeah, please ask. <laughs> Always ask before poking. 